Chronic pain costs the United States up to $635 billion per year, which is more than yearly costs for cancer, heart disease, diabetes combined. In a 2012 Institute of Medicine report, chronic pain affects over 100 million Americans. Hydrocodone is the number one prescribed medication in the United States, and pain is the number one diagnosis in primary care. You're listening to ReachMD on iHeartRadio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome. I'm nurse practitioner Mimi Secor, your host, and with me today is Brett Snodgrass, nurse practitioner, who will be discussing management of chronic pain. Ms. Snodgrass is a board-certified family nurse practitioner specializing in pain management and palliative care. She was the only nurse practitioner member of the Tennessee Chronic Pain Task Force charged with developing chronic pain guidelines for the state of Tennessee. She consults, teaches, speaks nationally, including at the American Association of Nurse Practitioners Convention this past June, and also at the recent American Academy of Pain Conference. She's also known as the NP Mom. Brett is an award-winning and popular blogger. Welcome, Brett, to ReachMD. Thank you so much, Mimi. It's so nice to be here. So let's start with the basics. What is chronic pain and how does it differ from acute pain? That's, of course, the million-dollar question. It truly is. Acute pain, we all know. Acute pain occurs from an injury, an insult, and suddenly you have pain associated with it. The mysterious chronic pain is, by definition, pain that lasts greater than three months. So any type of pain that results in having to be treated for the pain for more than three months is considered chronic pain. In reality, chronic pain truly is pain that continues after an injury or that insult heals or the patient or the physician or the nurse practitioner, whoever, whomever they're seeing. The clinician says, all right, looks like you're good to go. And the patient says, I'm still having pain. That often is what is associated with chronic pain and what we call chronic pain. Hmm. Interesting. Why is it, Brett, that clinicians are so frustrated by patients who have chronic pain? I think part of the frustration comes with Ultimately, as clinicians, maybe it's a lack of knowledge base around treating chronic pain. The first thing that jumps in our minds is the use of opiates, whereas there's many other therapies associated and available that you can use with chronic pain. And, of course, other frustrations come along that you really can't measure chronic pain. There's not a lab test to draw. It's not like a hemoglobin A1C to see how they're doing. So, unfortunately, you have to really just establish rapport with the patient and talk to the patient to understand how they're feeling. And then, of course, we do have patients that can be manipulative and that can turn people off and clinicians off to treating patients for chronic pain. And that's another piece of what we have to learn how to deal with as professionals. Absolutely. What are some of the common myths about treating chronic pain that you encounter, Brett? When talking to other clinicians or when teaching, I hear a lot of people say, well, they're all addicted. <laughs> they're all addicted to this medicine, and we've got to get them off. There's an addiction problem. And while there can be an addiction problem, what we know is addiction is psychologic. Are our patients tolerant to medicines? Absolutely. Addiction, not necessarily. So that can be a huge myth around the chronic pain patient. And also, I have a lot of patients, and I remember even as a student being taught about chronic pain, and I remember the number one thing I was told was, if you have a patient come in knowing the exact dose of medicine, the exact medication, things along that line, then those people are drug seekers. In reality, I turn that around and I talk about this anytime I speak. If you were in chronic pain every day, 
then yes, unfortunately, you would know exactly the medication. You would probably know the dose, and you would know what made you feel better and what made you able to cope with life, able to have a better quality of life, which is truly our goal in treating chronic pain. Good point. And it sounds like a diabetic. They would know what medicine they're taking, and they would know the exact dose and the name. Absolutely no different. What are some of the challenges, though, literally, even if you're an expert at this, in treating chronic pain, Brett? You truly feel uh, some days like you're not winning the battle, and you're truly doing so much legwork. And there's a lot of legwork that is associated with treating chronic pain. And you have to make certain that your charts are appropriate and your charting is very appropriate. And this is no different than other diagnoses, but I think it's very scrutinized in chronic pain, so we have to be so careful. You have to frequently have the patients visit, so you're seeing one patient more often, and that can be a challenge to get them in, just to even get them in for that follow-up, as well as making certain that your drug screens are done, making sure you're checking a controlled substance monitoring database if available in your state, and in most states it's now available, and making sure you're reviewing records and staying current with what's going on with the patient. Definitely challenges. How often are you seeing patients that have chronic pain, you yourself? Well, early on, I definitely see these patients monthly and sometimes every two weeks. It simply depends on what's going on with the patients. And then, you know, as we get a good treatment regimen, our patient's doing well, they're very functional, I oftentimes will move them back to every two months. But what you have to consider with chronic pain is you have to go by the rules and regulations of the state. So sometimes that is mandated by the state. We usually say no more than every three months, but I will say I see them more frequent and usually only do a two-month or less visit. Good to know. What are some of the non-opioid therapies, Brett, that are available for patients suffering from chronic pain? We, of course, always want to know how effective they are. I love to talk about this part because it truly is. Chronic (laughs) pain, the first thing your mind goes to is pain medications and opiates. And there are so many things beyond opiates that we can try and we can use that are quite effective. Physical therapy is one that we oftentimes just dismiss and think, well, that's probably not going to help them. They're having that much pain. That's only going to cause more pain. Physical therapy is wonderful. We have music therapy, hypnosis, acupuncture, yoga, exercise, All of those things are very good and truly have research to support the use of them with chronic pain. And then, of course, there's steps. So next, a patient might be appropriate for an intervention, such as an epidural block, pain stimulators, which are new and on the horizon and being used more, and surgical interventions where appropriate. And then, of course, let's move into what medicines we can use this side of opiates. And I would tell people not to forget about mood modulators. Medications like duloxetine work wonderfully in pain management and also anticonvulsants. And then we all know non-steroidal anti-inflammatories where we can use those. And then topical formulations have truly been on the horizon and they're getting more and more popular. And if it's appropriate and it's appropriate place we can put a topical formulation, it's very effective for the treatment of chronic pain. I know I always tuck those Thermacare glue-on, stick-on heater packs when I'm traveling. So if you get that middle seat on an airplane, boy, that can make a difference. Absolutely. And it does. And even chronic pain patients, oftentimes we discount them and say, well, none of that would work because they're in chronic pain. Truly adding some of those things back in do actually help these patients. So we can't forget those. 
And can that help you reduce the opioid prescriptions? That's always the goal. That's always the goal. And so what about some pearls in prescribing opioid therapies, Brett? So I'd say my first pearl is definitely for anyone prescribing opiates to definitely, without a doubt, know their state regulations. Know what they can and maybe cannot do, what can and cannot be prescribed, and make certain you're following those. That can be a very problematic if you are not. So it's just important that you know what state regulations are. And then I always push home the message of making certain your records reflect why you're prescribing an opiate. We wouldn't prescribe Lantus or Levamir or any other insulin to a patient with diabetes without probably having a hemoglobin A1C on that chart. And that's no different for chronic pain. Make certain there's an appropriate diagnosis and appropriate lab tests or appropriate radiological exams to affirm a diagnosis and to truly support when you have to using opiates. And then also, like we've just talked about, make certain that other alternatives are being tried. And if they've been tried and failed, that may be appropriate, but make certain your chart reflects that, that they have failed these alternatives. And then don't be afraid to refuse opiates if they're not appropriate for a patient. If there's high risk to those patients and it's in primary care, those people need to be referred out. It's okay to say no. But then on the flip side, if it's appropriate to use an opiate, Hmm. then use an opiate. Do you get pushback, Brett, from pharmacists or other healthcare professionals when you're prescribing opioids? Being in my clinic, and I'm just now starting actually a pain clinic, in the state of Tennessee, there's such desperation to get people into pain clinics and pain offices that know they're desperate for my services. But I've definitely heard things over the years, but I think as you become a prescriber, they get to know you, they know your practices, then of course it creates more affirmation for you prescribing those medications. So maybe in the interim and early on, I did receive some backlash from it, but not so much now. Good to know. And Brett, more and more states are adopting guidelines on chronic pain. Can you talk about this a little bit? Well, absolutely. As you talked about in the introduction, I was honored to be the only nurse practitioner on the chronic pain task force for the state of Tennessee, and we were charged with creating guidelines. And we were really following suit with Washington State and Utah. They, they had some great guidelines out there, and we used them when we were developing our own. But what I'm seeing is more and more states are going to be coming on board. We have a problem. We have prescription drug abuse that's prevalent. We have overdose deaths that are on the rise, and we have neonatal abstinence syndrome that just is so startling. So states are truly finding that they're going to have to write some guidelines and some type of chronic pain guidelines or ways to guide treatment for patients. And we're truly going to see more and more states follow suit over the coming months and years even. How do primary care clinicians and newer nurse practitioners get more training in chronic pain management, Brett? What's interesting to note, and this is truly across the board, we've looked at how much education everyone gets, med school, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, And on average, we're finding that throughout an entire curriculum of schooling, the average practitioner is coming out with about six to eight hours of education on chronic pain, which is very small. 
And ultimately, it's the number one diagnosis, number one complaint in primary care. It's the first thing they're truly hit with when they come into a primary care office, when they start working in primary care office, the first thing that a patient's going to complain about is pain. So truly, there's some ill equipment of being able to treat these patients, so what do we do? And, and I know that schools are looking into this, and truly we're backtracking now and trying to create more education. But I would say the first thing, conferences are really finding a need and seeing a need. American Association of Nurse Practitioners now has a pain track. They see a need, and they need to see a need that these nurse practitioners are needing education. Pain Week is a national pain conference for all disciplines, and they just this year, and I'm actually speaking at it, have created their own NP track. So it's really exciting. They see a need. They see that there's education there. And then I'd also say find a mentor and work with them or on-the-job training. Those are very appropriate things, and those are very helpful things. Sometimes you just need somebody to talk about something with or run something by somebody. And then on the horizon, working with some other pain providers, we're talking about maybe actually creating some pain mentoring programs or even boot camps because what I'm hearing is nurse practitioners truly don't know the nuts and bolts of treating chronic pain. Great suggestions, great suggestions. You've got plenty to keep you busy for a while there, Brett. I'd like to switch gears in the last minute or so that we have. I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about your popular blog, The NP Mom. What are some of your hot topics and, you know, what's sort of going on there with that? I love it when I receive it. Well, thank you so much. Yes, The NP Mom, it was kind of created out of a little idea I had, and the preface behind it is truly answers to questions patients always forget to ask. I know as a mom, when I was had babies and I would go see the pediatrician or the nurse practitioner or whoever we were seeing, you know, I'd leave, and even as someone in healthcare, I'd leave and think, I didn't ask whatever. And so it truly evolved out of that. And then I was able to make it into printable education sheets that anyone can go online and print out and use as reinforcement for their education and office. And there's so many topics. I've blogged on just about everything. Recently, the Ebola outbreak has been a hot topic. So, of course, I had to weigh in on that. And then... Yeah, I love that one. Some very popular ones have been vaccination debates. You know, do we vaccinate? Do we not vaccinate? And so I did one on that. And then, of course, kind of dispelling myths about nurse practitioners. It's a very popular blog. And then I've talked at length recently on concierge medicine. And so just whatever's going on, and then I go as basic as hypertension and how to treat it, how to treat hyperlipidemia naturally, those things. So it's definitely been a fun blog, fun to see evolve. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, keep up that great work. We love your blog. Well, good. We love your blog, Brett, and we love the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It has been a pleasure talking with you. Well, thank you, Mimi, for having me. I'm nurse practitioner Mimi Secor, and you are listening to Reach MD on iHeartRadio, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you for listening. <laughs>